0: This is One Giant Podcast, your source for all things New York football giants. Here are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht and Andy Makowitz. And with that, we do officially kick off, although Scott and I have now been talking for, for 10 minutes prior to getting this one going, because that's what you do, man. Friend of the show. Happy to have him back. Play like a Jet podcast, Scott Mason.
1: Hey, what's going on? It's good to be back. It's good to talk some Jets-Giants overlap, because as we were talking about before we started recording, there's a lot of overlap between the Jets and the Giants this offseason. And it's also fun to talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld a little bit, because the new season of Curb has been a lot of fun. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, so anytime I can talk about that stuff. In fact, I have a mailbag episode that typically airs in two parts over the weekends with Chris Nimbley from Jets Insider. And a lot of times we get asked TV and movie questions and food questions, too, as part of the mailbag. And it's fun to answer those because as much as I love to talk about football, it's never a bad thing to talk about those things, too, especially when we're talking about the Jets and Giants right now, because it can get a little depressing (laughs) at times talking about those two teams.
0: You're telling me, (laughs) yeah. Uh, well, you know what? It's funny, too, because we, we had touched base during the season at one point, And at that point, we were both pretty low. Uh, Giants stayed pretty low. Jets kind of – you rounded yourselves out a little bit as you went through the season. You end up finishing seven and nine. Uh, you know, we mentioned the, the overlap between these two teams. You know, about a month away before free agency, a couple of months before the draft, you know, two and a half months now. Secondary, offensive line, edge rusher, these are all areas of needs for which – make it both New York based football teams. You know, what is, I want to kind of gauge what is your philosophy or what's your thought process about when, when you look at the jets offseason season and just football in general, as you're approaching that free agency period, do you look at it as it's strictly, if you have the need offense and defensive line, you know, build in the trenches and then worry about some of those ancillary pieces. Or do you think that if there's a guy on the market that is just hands down the talent, that everyone, the, the apple of everyone's eye, do you make him that the target that you go for and you just kind of forego everything else and then address additional needs in the draft? How do you think that the Jets should approach it? And how do you think most teams should be approaching this?
1: It's a combination, I think. It really depends on who's available and it depends on your needs and it depends on the strength of the draft. So I think that one thing that the Jets have done that has been regrettable over the last decade for the most part, really, my friend Chris Walker and I talked about this a lot is the fact that they don't play to the strengths of free agency and the strengths of the draft. So Mm -hmm. for instance, this year, the strength of the draft looks like it's going to be wide receiver more than any other position. There are just a ton of wide receivers that look like they can come in and be, if not great wide receivers, at least have an impact in a pretty short span of time maybe not day one, some of these receivers take a little bit of time, but you would think at least by mid-season these guys would start to have an impact and there's so many of them, guys you can get not only in rounds one, in round one, you know, guys like Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, but then there are plenty of other wide receivers later on in the draft. There are so many of them that you can look at and see as potential number two, number three players at the wide receiver position, or even maybe number ones. You never know how it goes. Sometimes you pick a guy in the fourth round, you're not expecting him to be a number one receiver, but he turns out to hit it big. But I think the Jets really need to steer into the strength of free agency and the strength of the draft. So what I think teams need to do is they need to look at team building in general, and they need to look at what their team needs. And then they need to put that in the context of what's available. So for example, with the jets right now, here's where the jets are particularly weak. The offensive line is decimated. They could use some playmakers at wide receiver. They really need an outside edge rusher to go with the interior line, which is pretty strong and they need cornerback help. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at free agency. It, it's, it appears that there is going to be a lot of really good edge rushers that could be available. Now, is Yannick Ngakwe going to be available? I tend to think that Jaguars push comes to shove are going to franchise tag him, but if he's available, that's a guy that's a top 10 to 15 edge rusher at 24 years old. You jump all over that, especially since, as we know, edge rusher quarterback and offensive tackle are the three hardest positions to fill in the NFL so if you have the opportunity to add an excellent guy at one of those positions in free agency without having to give up draft picks you go ahead and you do that so I think in Gakway, there's Bud Dupree, Dante Fowler Jr., Matthew Judon you could see Shaq Barrett available there are a lot of potentially impactful edge rushers that are going to be available in free agency, or at least it seems that way. So I would try to fill the need that way, especially since if you look at the draft, the draft doesn't have a lot of really strong edge rushers. And that's kind of what I meant about playing to the strength of the draft and playing to the strength of free agency. So I think with the jets, they also need to look at the offensive line, look at who's available in free agency. Joe Tooney would be an example, a guard who played really, really well for the Patriots. He's uh, He was a second-team All-Pro in 2019, four seasons, completely healthy All-Four, really strong in, in pass protection, which the Jets need quite a bit. So he would I, can't, I can't
0: risk taking a, a, a New England Patriot again. I can't, I can't risk the Giants <laughs> targeting a, another Patriot offensive lineman, 27 years old, right in the wheelhouse of, of a Nate Soldier kind of mold. So by all <laughs> means, ta- I hope you guys go after him fast and furious when free agency starts. Just cut, <laughs> well, Joe, cut Joe Judge off at the pass. Don't let Joe Judge have any of these you know previous connections from his former employer start to influence him here.
1: Well, to be fair, Trent Brown got a big contract, and he did well in his first year after signing that contract in free agency. But I'm just so no, it's, like it's that- only it's only Nate Soldier. He's the, he's <laughs> been the only the <laughs> only black
0: thumb mark on that. So it is just you know it's uh it's just uh, that, that that shock of, of oh god please don't let it happen. Uh, but you know you mentioned there, and I know we'll, we'll have you keep going through it because. You mentioned Njoku, and I think that that is probably – that's a name that's been thrown around a lot on both of the Jets and the Giants' target list because it instantly starts to improve this team. Before we started – either team, really. Before we started recording, you talked about Leonard Williams, and I kind of have these couple of bounce-around things, but I'm still a fan of Leonard Williams. I I, I remember when we talked previously about him, you highlighted the value that he brings to the team – that you're not going to necessarily see in the stat lines. You know, you're going to see QB hurries. You're going to see pressures. You may not see sacks, but those still add up. And it also still adds up when you think about it was a bad defense that will get better. And as everything else improves around him, so too can the play of Leonard Williams from, from a stat standpoint. On top of that too, $15 million, I know that's a big number in a lot of fans' minds. Relative to the NFL, that's not a huge annual salary for a man across your defensive front. And I I just wonder, are you still in the boat of the Giants should be someone who signs him? And And we'll dive right back into what you're talking about just in terms of these overall needs. But since we started to go that way a little bit, do you think that the Giants should be bringing back Leonard Williams?
1: Well, I'll start with this. Obviously I want the Giants to sign Leonard Williams before free agency starts because it would improve the draft pick that the Jets get from the Giants in 2020. It would you already go from got the,
0: the 68th pick in the third round, man. I mean, just greedy.
1: I'm trying to be as greedy as possible here. I'm mm-hmm. a Jets fan. I got to take my wins where I can get them, especially what we've seen the last 10 years. But my thought on Leonard Williams is the same. And the funny thing is, a lot of Giants fans were complaining about what you were talking about. No sacks. Oh, this guy is an empty stat sheet. Well, if you went back and looked, and Michael Nania, who does the stats for us, at com, He does a great job in a variety of different places, too. Jets Insider, Elite Sports New York, Angry Nation. I really think that an NFL team should hire him, but that's a whole other story. He loves to dig into what PFF has, and then he watches it himself and compares, but just looking at what PFF had in terms of pressure stats, Leonard Williams wound up as the number 11 uh, with the 11th most pressures for an interior defensive lineman in the NFL, but The number of pressure significantly jumped up when he went to the Giants because he got off to a slow start with the Jets. He really did very well with the Giants. And people will look at the stat sheet and say, oh, he didn't have this many tackles or he didn't have this many sacks. But he was constantly in the quarterback's face. And the last time I was on, we talked about his first game against the Dallas Cowboys. And the fact that people said, oh, he had no impact in the passing game. And then we joked about how in an article that was highlighting how Leonard Williams supposedly had no impact in the passing game, Leonard Williams had two pressures on a drive (laughs) that forced two incompletions for Prescott that forced a field goal instead of a touchdown, saving the Giants four points. So it's just funny how people don't see that value. I think teams around the league definitely do. Now, the question becomes is Leonard Williams and what he brings to the table worth $15 million a year? That's a tougher question. I'm not sure because I think if you're looking at somebody who's more of an elite player, you're looking at someone that's going to get 18 to 20 million. Probably is Leonard Williams worth in that 15 million range, maybe a little less than that. But then again, it's hard to say you kind of have to see what the market is like. There are a lot of times where, guys get contracts and you you shake your head and you say, I can't believe like Quan Alexander last year got Mm -hmm. something like $14 million a year. And I was completely flabbergasted by that, but that's just the way that the market goes. Sometimes if there are other teams that are willing to jump in and offer Leonard Williams, $15 million, it's something the Giants should consider because he was stout against the run. And like we talked about, even though he didn't have the stat numbers, he was constantly pressuring the quarterback and, after he was traded to the Giants, he was pretty much an elite pressure guy from the interior. So I think the Giants should do what they can to try and bring him back. $15 million might be a little much, but that's really for Dave Gettleman to figure out. I do think that he's a valuable piece of the Giants team going forward if he comes back. I think he brings a significant amount of value, a lot more value than most people seem to give him credit for. It drives me out of my mind because people really don't, look at the things that matter. They look at these sack numbers. I mean, it's funny. Michael Mania, who I just talked about, had a theoretical, and he said, what if a player got one sack a game for the entire season but literally nothing else the rest of the game? What would happen? He'd go to the Pro Bowl. He'd probably be an All-Pro because people would look at it and go, oh, my God, he had 16 sacks. But who's more valuable, that guy or the guy that gets five pressures per game? The guy that gets five pressures per game, for my money, is the one that's more valuable. So, I do think the Giants should try to keep him. The price is going to be the the sticking point here. I'm not sure about the 15 million dollars, but but if Gettleman can find a way to get a decent deal. With Leonard Williams in place, I think he should definitely do it, especially since again, on top of everything we 're saying he 's only twenty five years old so
0: that 's a big part of it too right age I think fits because even we 're talking about some of these free agents and i 've had these conversations with you know friends around the giants where you talk about. You know, do you want to give it to a contract, maybe to a cornerback? You look at the secondary at 27, 28 years old. It it wasn't necessarily a bad contract when the Giants brought in Janoris Jenkins. It turned out to be a bad contract because the Giants ended up being so god-awful over that stretch. But theoretically, you were bringing him in because you were going to make this push into postseason's. Uh, quote unquote, but you know you, you think about when you give out a big contract to a guy that's rate about to enter his peak, and then you think about the back end of thirty one thirty two and what it costs you. but like you said a guy like Leonard Williams, you're talking about paying him for his prime on a four year deal, and then he'll exit and probably get himself another big contract somewhere else if he performs well. so there, there is that that balance of wanting to have young talent. Well, he is young talent now, though like you said you're fifteen million maybe a lot there's a couple there's two things. Shoot this down quickly because I this is really just something I'm not a hundred percent on. Is there any franchise ability? Can the Giants franchise tag Leonard Williams or no?
1: I think they can. I don't see any reason that they so, couldn't.
0: Okay, so if they were able to franchise tag him, because there's two scenarios that I, I thought about. One, if you franchise tag him and he plays on the tag this year, it'll end up being a little bit higher of, of a price tag than 15 million, but by doing so you would then convert him into a compensatory pick if he left and signed somewhere else next year. As of right now, the Giants can't get anything for him if he goes somewhere else because they traded for him in season. So that was one route that I thought the Giants could go. Now, do you want to play? You want to have a disgruntled Leonard Williams on your roster for a season? That could be a risk, certainly. The other thing was, and this is more just existential, I guess, so many fans on social media for the Giants were talking about how you have to re-sign him. You already gave a third and a fifth to get him. It's going to become a fourth if you bring him back. You have to do it. Otherwise, you know, Gettleman looks even worse for you. But I painted the scenario. Of if you're the Giants, say that they had fired Dave Gettleman and brought in a new GM. And that GM assessed Leonard Williams and said, listen, I know that we gave up these draft picks for him. But the value for what he wants in a contract is not there. We're, we're not going to throw, as I said, you know, good money after bad or bad money after good, however that phrase goes. We're, we're going to move on from them and understand that we made a mistake, past regime made the mistake, and we're going to go ahead and move forward in a different direction. Likewise, if Dave Gettleman came out and said, yeah, I traded for him, I thought it was going to make an impact, it didn't necessarily pan out the way we wanted to, and now we're looking at spending $15 million on him. There's other options on the free agency market. Listen, I'm not going to compound the mistake maybe of what I gave up in assets for him by then bringing him back on a contract that he may never be able to live up to based on what he does for a team. I, 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 I think it'd be a hard pill for a lot of fans to swallow, but I'd be completely okay with that if it was just, listen, we made a mistake. Do you want me to make a second mistake or what we think is a second mistake? So I was just curious to see if you think either one of those two scenarios would make sense from a giant standpoint.
1: It's interesting because I think the Jets are probably having a similar internal dialogue right now about Robbie Anderson because that's I want to ask you on him yeah yeah so we'll, we'll kind of mix this together but Robbie Anderson is sort of in the same boat as Leonard Williams in terms of he's a really nice player he's probably going to get paid a lot on the open market how much is he worth and how much do you want to spend to keep him in the case of Robbie Anderson and what you're talking about the franchise tag and I'm going to suggest something with Robbie Anderson that might be interesting for the giants as well with Leonard Williams. I think that the best move for the jets here would be to slap the transition tag on Robbie Anderson. Now Mm -hmm. the downside to that is that you don't get any compensation if somebody signs him and you don't match. But what this does is a, it pays him less money than it would pay him on the franchise tag and B it lets other teams set the market. So for Robbie Anderson, for example, the worst case scenario would be, I think it's $15 million for one year. You can handle having Robbie Anderson one year, $15 million. That's okay. If that's the worst thing that happens, fine. But if another team comes in, blows you out of the water, you don't match. If it, some team comes in, signs with to a nice contract, you look at it, you say, okay, we're willing to match this, cool. But this way you let other teams set the market for Robbie's value. And I think mm-hmm. you could do the same thing with Leonard Williams, theoretically. You could transition tag him. And worst case scenario, again, it would be one year, 15 million or something like that, which is along the lines of what he's asking for, for a long-term deal. And then if somebody else makes an offer, you can decide whether or not you want to match that. As far as what you are talking about with compounding mistakes, listen, I absolutely agree with you. I think they should try and keep Leonard Williams just because I think he's a good player and I wouldn't want to let him go unless somebody gets carried away with the bidding. If it's a reasonable contract, I'd want to keep him. If your thought is, well, you have to pay him no matter what, because you gave up a third and a fifth, and then you end up paying him $20 million a year, which is way more than he's worth, simply because you don't want to admit that you shouldn't have given up a third and a fourth in this scenario. Well, I don't know what to tell you. That's how bad teams stay bad. You right. can't continue down the rabbit hole. Of bad decisions. You have to recognize it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? That's what they call it in business. But when you make an investment that turns out to not be the positive investment that you thought it would be, sometimes you just got to cut bait and move on. It, you don't want to throw bad money after good, uh good money after bad rather. So I, I don't agree with people that would say that at all. I'm with you on that. That said, like, Ultimately, if you could, I think the best move would be to try to keep Robbie Anderson. It's all going to be, excuse me, uh, Leonard Williams and Robbie Anderson for the Jets. Same scenario. It's all just going to be a matter of price because uh, I think Robbie Anderson's a valuable piece for the Jets. I think Leonard Williams could be a valuable piece for the Giants. And ultimately, it's just going to come down to money. That's always what it comes down to.
0: Well, you know, and so uh, before we started recording, uh, Scott's comment was, uh, you know, Adam leads and Scott's going to follow because I'm hosting. So if you're familiar with the Sunday morning comic strip, Family Circus, this basically looks like the kid who goes on that tour through the neighborhood before he finally makes his destination. So uh, Scott, I'm sorry. This is the adventure that we're on now. You, uh, (laughs) you, You mentioned Robbie Anderson, and I think, you know... Before, you had highlighted about what's available out there on the market, and then you take a look at the draft as well. And just to to highlight that point, right, a lot of depth there at the wide receiver position in the draft, and the Giants just had a great late-round hit in Darius Slayton, where all of a sudden, he kind of starts to come on there at the end of the year, and I think he complements well the receiving core overall and what the piece that you have there right now. So you can see how... The idea of, like you said, bringing back Anderson on a four, you know, four-year deal and paying him max money at 27 years old, when some of these positions, especially when you look uh, when you project ahead to the draft, you know that you're going to have opportunities to fill these needs and pay, obviously, a substantially less price tag for them, and you also can then spend that money somewhere else in free agency. So, you know, one of the guys just as a footnote that I am desperate for the Giants to find – desperate maybe a little bit heavy-handed, but I love Claypool out of Notre Dame. I I think that he's that mid-round kind of wide receiver pickup, especially for the Giants, kind of in that Robbie Anderson, big body, stretch the field mentality. Red zone threat can do the things that you want to do, physical, good hands on the ball. And that's the kind of thing where I think the Giants or any team, and even even the Jets, like you mentioned, depth at wide receiver – you get a guy in that middle round that comes in, learns the system, and develops along the way. All of a sudden, you have a, a nice complementary two that creates mismatches across the field. So uh, th- th- those are co- that's just a couple of the names that I had thought about when you look ahead to that draft, especially at the wide receiver position.
1: There's so many receivers here. Everybody's talking about Judy and Lamb. But beyond that, you have Henry Ruggs, who is going to be yeah. a real stud in the NFL. You've got T. Higgins, who now they're talking about possibly falling to the second round. You've got Chenault. You've got you've got you you've got Jefferson. You've got so many good receivers, Van Jefferson and Justin Jefferson, I should say. So both Jeffersons. It's just a uh, embarrassment of riches. Chase Claypool is another guy. Uh, Chris Nimbley who does the show with me a lot from JetsInsider.com, is a big chase Claypool fan largely because he's a Notre Dame guy hmm. uh, there's a, a couple of other people that have brought up his name in terms of somebody that could be a replacement for Quincy Anunua potentially if Anunua ends up retiring or gets cut due to all the injuries that he's had but you could go down the list of names Brian Edwards is another one so many of them guys that their film indicates in their production that they could come in and be productive pretty much right away, or at least close to it. So yeah, I mean, you look at somebody like Slayton, that's what you're looking for in the mid to late rounds. When you draft a wide receiver, if you can get a productive wide receiver in those rounds, then it's an absolute home run. If you can get a guy that can start for you, in the mid to late rounds, that's really what you're looking for, a a solid to good starter. Mm -hmm. And that's how you build the core of the team if you're a good team because ultimately free agency doesn't matter if you don't draft well. Teams don't win in the NFL if they don't draft well for a variety of reasons. The fact is that when you draft a guy, especially when it's past the first round and he turns out to be good, you've now got that player very cheap, for four years, right? And you've got him at the peak of his powers and so on and so forth. Whereas with free agents, you tend to spend money on guys that are older, they might have injury issues, and they're also getting a lot of money. So that's how you win in the NFL teams that draft well. And when you get guys like Slayton, that's how you build winners. Now, the Giants are going to have to get a lot more guys like that. And the Jets are going to have to prove that they can do that. Joe Douglas in his first year as the general manager is going to come in now and he's going to do his best to live up to the reputation that he has. He has a strong reputation from his time with Baltimore, a little bit with Chicago, and then with Philadelphia, we know what he did there in helping to build the championship roster. So he is now going to be the number one guy in the organization for the first time. He came in after the draft and after free agency last year. So this is his first real shot to do this. And so he's going to have to prove that his reputation for having an eye for talent is legitimate and he's going to have to hit on some of those mid to late round picks. And you're going to have to see that with Gettleman as well. We talked about Slayton, but overall Gettleman has made a lot of questionable picks, not only with the Giants, but during his days in Carolina. So he's got a real task ahead of him to build that roster out too. And I think that the fact that there are so many really good wide receivers in this draft means that there's an opportunity for both teams and other teams to go into this draft and to land potentially even two receivers that could come in and have an impact. And I think that that's why for me, if I'm drafting at a high position, I probably wouldn't be looking at a wide receiver unless I was convinced that say Jerry Judy or CD lamb is going to be a first ballot hall of famer. And I just absolutely had to have them. I think getting a top-tier offensive tackle is just so much more important. And and honestly, I think it's most likely that the Giants and Jets are going to both try to do that. The wild card here, of course, is for the Jets, will one of those offensive tackles be on the board? Now, as far as I'm aware, there's never been a scenario where four offensive tackles have gone in the top ten. But that doesn't mean it can't happen, especially considering the strength of this draft. And for the Giants, the question becomes, if they do draft an offensive tackle, which one? Because there's strong odds that they can get any one that they want, any of the four. And the other question is, does Dave Dave Gettleman throw a curveball? Because he's been known to do that. He's been known to – Daniel Jones is an example of a curveball. Does he turn around (laughs) and say, you know what, I want Isaiah Simmons? I know it's kind of – crazy to some people to pick a guy at that position who's sort of hybrid at number four, but I just believe that he's going to be such a special player that I have to have him. Maybe he does that. It's really hard to say. Maybe he decides that he wants that stud wide receiver in Judy or lamb. I would assume he's going to take an offensive lineman, but you don't know. So there's a lot of intrigue there. And the thing with wide receiver is you don't have to pick one early because there's going to be so many of them.
0: Well, and so, you know, question asked and answered. You don't want to see the Jets going anywhere near a wide receiver at the 11th overall pick. Likewise, I would hate to hear that Gettleman went for Judy there at four, even if it was. Well, I just think he's this transcendent talent, you know, especially from a Giants standpoint. We've been through this recent history with – you know, Odell Beckham Jr., regardless of any opinions about him off the field, personality, what have you, the bottom line is you can have a premium talent at that position, and it doesn't still change your team in terms of wins and losses and improving the overall play because you still need the offensive line to protect the quarterback to be able to throw him the ball, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, the interesting thing for me is and you mentioned about these curveball scenarios that Simmons started to get a lot of a lot of heat there for the Giants for a couple of weeks at that fourth overall pick. I, I tend to think that that would be, I don't want to say mistake, but I think it would not be the best utilization of the pick at the top of the draft for the Giants. The other thing is you were talking about Thune earlier from the Patriots across that offensive line as potential fit for the Jets. The other names that are out there is a guy like Jack Conklin, and, and mm-hmm. I've been beating that drum for the Giants for a few weeks now on the podcast, got some flack from fans in terms of what it would take to get him in the door. You know, that can – I think that that can shift things a little bit, because if the Giants were to go into, and probably for the Jets as well, if you go into free agency, although Thune at guard, probably not going to change the Jets if they could get a, get a tackle at 11, I think that they would be happy to. But if the Giants go and get, say, Conklin, who the drawback with him, if there is one, is that he ranked fifth overall in rush, uh, in rush efficiency, but 49th in pass. You know, mm-hmm. So his run block, he's in the 91st percentile, but rate right in the 50th percentile in terms of his pass stat line. So, you know, you want to be able to help uh, Saquon Barkley open up some holes? Okay, then Conklin may be your guy. But is he going to be the best suited to protect Daniel Jones? Because ultimately – I think what you're going to see more of in the offense for the Giants this upcoming season is trying to get Saquon Barkley into space, whether it's on pitch outs, whether it's using some of the uh, run pass read with Daniel Jones, getting Daniel Jones out on the edge and working some pitches. I don't think you're going to see Saquon Barkley nearly as much in between the tackles as you have early in his career under Joe Judge. And and the secondary thing of that is, though, if they go and get Conklin, all of a sudden at four overall, I've been muddling around, you know, what makes the most sense, the trade down scenario to get a couple extra assets, try to recoup that 68th pick that we gave over to you guys for Leonard Williams. And then I I, I really start to think about Okuda and whether or not he is head and shoulders the premium talent at that position in the draft this year and really plugs in and fills a need. Do you, have, do, you have any, do you have any thoughts on Okuda and whether or not, do you think that for Jets and Giants here, if they, attack, if they get someone in the free agency across the offensive line, does that automatically shift what they do with their first round pick? You know that you can go second round and start to fill those needs, but do you think four and 11 automatically pivots if they sign a Conklin, a Thuni? you know, uh, Humphreys is even possibly out there from, from Tampa as well?
1: I don't think you can ever have enough good offensive linemen. I think it's sort of like starting pitching in baseball. There's a lot of injuries and also guys get older, guys get beat up, and you really can never have enough players at that position. I think even if the Jets were to sign Conklin, they would probably still be looking to take an offensive lineman at number 11. Perhaps they would trade down if an offer came. I still think that they should consider trading up if they have to to number nine to jump the Browns Mm -hmm. if it comes down to it, because we all know the Browns are going to pick an offensive lineman. As far as Gettleman, it's possible that he thinks that way as well, that maybe he wants an offensive lineman, but he's much more of a wild card than Douglas. I think people realize that and Joe Douglas has not hidden this fact that he believes very much in the San Francisco 49ers model, which is destroy people in the trenches. What you saw the 49ers do was control the line of scrimmage on offense and on defense kill the quarterback. That was their formula. And they didn't just do it with an edge rusher. And this is why it's important to understand. When I talk about the Jets needing an edge rusher, people will go back and say, oh, they could have had one in the draft last year. Yeah, but that's only part of the equation because if you looked at the 49ers, yeah, you saw Bosa killing quarterbacks, but you know who else you saw killing quarterbacks? You saw Armstead killing quarterbacks, and you also saw Buckner killing quarterbacks up front. And that's what the jets have really put together up front. They've put together a really strong group of interior linemen. So if you go out and get an edge rusher, now you've got that. So I think Joe Douglas has made it clear. He values the edge. He values the offensive line. And I think that's where he's going to look to spend his money most. And that's where he's going to look to spend his premium assets in the draft with Gettleman. It's really hard to say. I think with Okuda. I think he's a guy that is likely to go third to the Lions. Mm. If he's on the board at four, sure. I mean, I think he's a special talent at corner. And I actually had an interesting discussion recently about this. Uh, people were saying, what if a scenario arose where the four offensive linemen were off the board, but somehow Okuda dropped to 11, and you could pick either him or one of the wide receivers. And Joe Caparoso runs turnonthejets.com, which is, the website where my podcast is hosted, he said, oh, I would take Judy because you have to build the offense. Defense doesn't matter. And to me, that's crazy (laughs) for a, a variety of reasons. Number one, to me, it's so much harder to find a really good corner than a really good wide receiver. Number two, I think that a corner is way more important than a receiver. Number three, if you look at the strength of this draft, there are a million receivers that look like they can be good maybe not as good as Judy or lamb, but good. You look at the corners and there's really nobody even close to Okuda's class. And you put all of that together and then you combine it with what I was just talking about with the 49ers. A lot of people have that mentality now, which is just score points and you'll win and just go with the chiefs model. Okay. The chiefs model is awesome. If you have an all pro quarterback, if you have Russell Wilson or you have Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback that can carry the offense on his back, then awesome. You know, you can go with just load up on offense and don't worry about your defense so much. But for most teams, even if they have a good quarterback, that quarterback's not going to be on that elite level. We don't know if Sam Darnold's going to reach that elite level. I think he has the potential to do it, but we don't know. So the much safer route is to go the, the way that the 49ers did, because that is universally successful. If you have a good starting quarterback. It doesn't have to be great because Jimmy G is not great. He was solid to good. Probably five feet <laughs> long
0: on five feet long on making history. You know? <laughs> right.
1: But you know what I'm saying. In yeah, general, yeah, yeah. he's perfectly fine. And win with him. He's probably top 12 to 15 quarterback. But the reason the 49ers were largely successful is what I said. They built in the trenches, they kill the opposing quarterback and they control the line of scrimmage on offense. And so what that does is it opens up lanes for the running backs, but it also gives Jimmy G plenty of time to hit his receivers. And by the way, his best weapon on offense is a tight end. So that just goes to show you again that there's more than one way to to skin a cat, but also that there is one way that is almost always going to work. It's not an easy thing to pull off, to be able to build the type of team that the 49ers did. You have to draft well, but that should be, I think, your overall philosophy. So as far as Conklin goes, I think he's a good offensive tackle. I I don't think he's great, but as you said, excellent in the run game, solid in pass protection, not amazing, but you got to remember, and this is what people forget. Free agency is where you have to overpay for a guy like Jack Conklin because the really top guys don't make it to free agency. So when somebody like Conklin, who's good and still relatively near his prime, I think he's 26 years old, he's had some injuries, but you're going to have to overpay because there are a lot of teams that really need an offensive tackle. And so if you want them, you're going to have to pay a premium price because it's a matter of supply and demand. And that – is how it goes with all of these key positions in free agency and even not so, I mean, Robbie Anderson is an example and I'll, I'll throw back to you cause I know you were going to jump in and I'm sorry to keep going no, no. on, but Robbie Anderson is an example of a guy who maybe he's not worth 13 to $15 million a year in a vacuum, but when he's the best wide receiver on the free agent market and you've got 10 teams looking for a wide receiver, guess what happens?
0: Right. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. And I think that's the funny thing about anyone in giants in giants fandom. I have been equally, if not more upset about the contract that ultimately was given to Nate soldier in free agency. But at the same time, I think a lot of fans are then reacting to that when you're talking about the price tag, that's going to be associated with Conklin. If you want to bring him in and saying, Oh my God, you're going to have that much money locked in at the right and left tackle. And again, it's that, it's that same philosophy of, right, you can make a mistake in one area. You can't allow that to stop you from making what could be the right move two, three seasons down the line, especially in free agency. And I think you're right. Even back then with Nate Soldier, it was, he was the best available left tackle on the market for perception at the time. And the Giants needed him, so you knew you were going to overpay him. And it was widely acknowledged. The Giants are overpaying Nate Soldier because they need to make sure that they get him. They also had to pivot after looking at the guard from uh, Norwell from the Panthers at the time. So, you know, a little bit of panic move could be, uh, could be associated there as well. But you need to do these things, and you need to say in free agency, we at least check the box with some level of quantifiable talent that we can say, right tackle had Remmers last year for, if you're the Giants, and now we've upgraded that position. Okay, is he perfect in pass protection? No. He's a dominant force in the run game and now we get to move down the line and move to other areas of need and I just think you know, you have to accept the fact that these these players do cost money and there's no two ways around it. Now, you mentioned with with Anderson whether or not you guys bring him back the impact of maybe replacing him with someone. Actually, there's a wide receiver. I'm going to go completely off the board here. There's a wide receiver that I don't, I don't think he'll be back with his team. He's going to be older. Going to need to take a flyer somewhere. I assume maybe he would go somewhere like the Patriots for a reclamation project, but AJ green, do you, I just wanted to know what your opinion is on him right now and where you think if he can come back healthy, does he still have a little something in the tank and could a team around the league, maybe get a little bit of a steal in free agency with him?
1: I think AJ green's going to be looking to go to a contender. So I really don't think the jets and the giants would be in play for him. I think the Patriots, like you said, would be interesting. Although right now, who knows exactly, I still think Tom Brady goes back to the Patriots, but we're going to find out soon enough. There are other teams that could use a wide receiver that are, you know, good teams that are on the cusp or that were in playoff contention. The Eagles are an example. I think the Eagles would probably like a younger receiver, but even if it's just a stopgap type of move, that's a possibility. I think the problem with A.J. Green is that if you are a team like the Jets or the Giants, if you're being honest with yourself, you understand that you are not one year away from – being able to be in real contention maybe if all the chips fall the right way and everybody stays healthy and you build the team well in the offseason you have a chance to compete for a playoff spot but you're not going to be a Super Bowl contender unless something crazy happens if Sam Darnold all of a sudden becomes Aaron Rodgers or if Daniel Jones all of a sudden becomes Russell Wilson then sure things might change but as of now you've got to be honest with yourself and realize that that's not really the scenario that is likely for your team and you have to act accordingly. And I think A.J. Green has got to be thinking to himself that he doesn't have much time left in the league and he's spent all this time on a team that never made it out of the first round of the playoffs. So he's going to want to go somewhere where he can win. I think with the Jets and Giants, what they really need to focus on as far as playmakers and really the roster in general – is getting young guys. You don't want to be spending for guys that are older. And and this is where I got driven crazy the other day by Bill Barnwell coming out with these ridiculous suggestions for the Jets. He had them breaking the bank for a four-year deal for Chris Harris Jr. from the Broncos, who's 31 years old, and really doesn't even have the speed to hold up in coverage anymore on the outside. He's really more of a slot corner than anything else at this point. And at 31 years old, to give him that kind of contract anyway is foolish. He had them trading a second and a fifth round pick to the Ravens for Matthew Judon after Matthew Judon would be franchise tag. Now, Matthew Judon's a nice player, but he's 29 years old. I would be on the fence about signing him as a free agent, let alone trading assets for the guy. Mm -hmm. And then... The other one was Emmanuel Sanders. He had the Jets signing Emmanuel Sanders to a four-year, $40 million deal, which is also crazy because Emmanuel Sanders is 33 years old. You've got to get young, fresh talent. And if you're going to get guys that are a little bit older, it's got to be guys that you're familiar with that aren't going to cost a ton of money that are going to be kind of placeholders. So for the Jets, one example of a guy that I thought could be interesting is Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson's 27. He's not a great receiver. He's solid, he has upside, and he played with Adam Gase in Miami and was fairly productive for him. So if he shakes free, that could be a guy that if Robbie Anderson doesn't come back, you sign him. So at least you have somebody with some experience next to uh, Christopher Herndon, who's going to be the tight end, and and also Jamison Crowder, who they signed last year from the Redskins. And then you go into the draft and you get one or two guys, you mix them in, and then at least Albert Wilson can help you until those two young guys get up to speed and are able to make an impact. And I think the Giants should be looking in the same direction. I don't think that it would be a smart idea to spend money on an older receiver. I know they did it with Golden Tate last year. To do it again would be kind of crazy. So even if A.J. Green was willing to sign with the Jets or the Giants, I don't think it would be a smart move. I think they're better off going younger, going cheaper, and then going into the draft and trying to fill the holes that way. No, and I,
0: I agree with you on it as well. And I think you mentioned there in there on A.J. Green of just having spent so much time in Cincinnati, never making it out of the first round. It's almost, and not for Jets or Giants, but I do this a lot of times when you look around the league, you think about these older players players that have come off some injuries and haven't necessarily had the opportunities that you'd like them to see. It's more, I'm like, man, I just want to see AJ green in a deep playoff run. Right. I just, I want to see him on one of these teams like the Patriots or you know, whoever it may be where he just gets a chance to show off that skill on the biggest stage. And especially for him, it's probably coming down to the wire here, wide receiver at his age. And with the injury history, maybe he has one more fully healthy season in him where he can help a team go to that next level and move from a conference championship into, into a Super Bowl contention. So that, I'm just always keeping my eyes on those kind of guys. But I think you're 100% right when you talk about both teams needing to get younger in New York. And, you know, for you guys as well, just quickly on that wide receiver piece, like you said, if you bring in someone like Wilson, that second, third-round pick that you get from the Giants in the Williams deal really gives you flexibility in, in what ends up being a valuable round there. You can go with a position of higher need maybe at the 68th pick And then when you guys come back up there at 79, you can still take a look around there. And maybe that's the opportunity where, as you said, in the deep wide receiver class, you get to dip yourself back in there. And now all of a sudden, if you bring back, say, Anderson, you come in with Wilson, and now you get another young player in the middle rounds, your wide receiver core could really transition into something a lot different in the matter of one offseason. You would also mention before about, by the way, I agree with you 100% on the, the 49ers construction, right? That is the guaranteed way to have sustained success. Mm-hmm. You, you highlighted that it's not easy to do that when you have to build through the draft and, and draft well to have these players come through. But you know Chiefs win the Super Bowl, so there's no knocking no knocking their system. but they had to come from behind three times in that run from substantial points down in order to make that happen. And I don't know if you went back and played all three of those games, 10 each if the Chiefs are going to complete those comebacks every single time. I can make the case that, especially the 49ers in the Super Bowl, play that 10 times over, and I think the defense for the 49ers comes up a couple of times there and maybe makes a couple of those key stops. So I I believe in the construct that got the 49ers to the Super Bowl. The hard part is, as you said, drafting the quality players that come in there and fill those needs that you have. On the Jets' side of things, in that vein, you guys had a player that got injured last year that basically ends up being like signing a free agent in Mosley and your defense looks significantly different when he was on the field with them early in the season. Do you look at that as well when you talk about free agency and then the draft and say, this is a box that maybe most fans are kind of, you know, half forgetting to check that you have this piece in there. And that's why maybe if say an Njoku gets to free agency gets to the market that attacking after him, feels like, yes, now we're building this complementary piece to something we already have existing. Because I really feel like the Jets' defense, depending on how the draft goes as well, can, can, can turn themselves pretty quickly here. You can really have a quality piece at the edge, at the linebacker, at the safety position, and then the question mark really comes down to probably cornerback for you guys.
1: Yeah, corner certainly is been a need for the Jets for quite a while. I think it's kind of interesting with C.J. Mosley because him being eliminated and also Avery Williamson being eliminated really changed a lot of things. Quinn and Williams was asked to stunt into two gap a lot last year. And a big part of the reason why is because the two starting inside linebackers were hurt all year. Avery Williamson was hurt in the preseason. And then CJ Mosley was hurt in the first game of the season against Buffalo. He tried to come back and got hurt again. And then he missed the rest of the year. So he barely played. He was excellent in that first half against the Bills. And then when he went out, it seemed like the Jets defense really nosedived the rest of that game. And they were never quite the same the rest of the year. I thought Greg Williams did a really nice job of putting the pieces together to kind of be bend but don't break all year. But Mosley missing was a huge factor. And I think that in addition to Mosley coming back, what his presence does in addition to him being such a good player to begin with, is that it might help unlock Quinn and Williams because, as I said, a lot of Jets fans looked at his production in the box score and said, this guy was the third overall pick. Look at this. He had one and a half sacks. He didn't even have that many pressures. This guy is nothing. How could they draft an interior lineman? You don't win in the NFL that way, blah, blah, blah. And my answer, of course, is look at the 49ers. Do you really think Nick Bosa is doing what Nick Bosa did without Armstead and mm-hmm. Buckner up front dominating? And you have to have both. You can't just have the edge. There's that mistake that people think, oh, you just need the edge. No, you need the interior and the exterior rush to really dominate. And so I think if Mosley is back healthy, that means that Quentin Williams doesn't have to stunt and two-gap as much. And now you free him up to do what he does and attack. And if you went and you watched not only his film in Alabama, which was superb, you go and look at a lot of what he did with the Jets when he was asked to attack. He showed a lot of really elite flashes. It's just going to be a matter of putting that all together. But I think with a healthy Mosley, and then as you said, not necessarily even Ngakwe. I mean, listen, Ngakwe is the dream, right? That's the guy that you want. But even if it's not Ngakwe, let's say it's Jason, the edge rusher from LSU. Let's say they pick him at 11 because the four offensive linemen are off the board. Or let's say that it's Matthew Judon or somebody like that, who's a good edge rusher, but not great. You're still – adding pieces here to unlock the other pieces and then they start to really fit together. And as you said, with the 49ers, it's not easy because a you have to hit and B it takes time. Look at all of the pieces that had to gel on that offensive line. And over the years that they had to get them, look at the pieces that they got on the defensive line. And then at the edge, it took years. Now Bosa and D four were the two final pieces But you had to draft Armstead. You had to draft Buckner. They even drafted Solomon Thomas. There are four offense, excuse me, four guys on that front seven that were first round picks by the 49ers and a fifth, D Ford, who was a first round pick for another team. So there were a lot of resources spent both on the offensive and defensive lines. But if you spend those resources and they hit for you, that is the formula that is going to help carry you to success. Now, you still need a good quarterback. He doesn't have to necessarily be Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that, but you still need like a Jimmy G, somebody in that, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford. See where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. If you have a quarterback like that and you build your team the way that we just talked about, then you can have a really successful team for a long period of time. And so I think Mosley coming back, combined with perhaps an edge rusher being added would then unlock Quinn and Williams to do what he does. And now all of a sudden, all of the pieces fit into place. So it's sort of a domino effect. Mm -hmm. The injury to Mosley last year created that domino effect that led to a much weaker pass rush than you would have liked. I think that adding an edge rusher and having Mosley back means that Quinn and Williams doesn't have to stunt and take two gap to stop the run and it means that you have pressure from the outside, and now all of a sudden you can get guys on multiple fronts. So, yeah, I think a lot of Jets fans aren't necessarily thinking about C.J. Mosley when they factor all of this together. But the other thing that is going to be interesting, and I think the Jets and the Giants are both going to be fascinating to watch in this regard, both of them are going to have third-place schedules. Now, the Jets and Giants both had last-place schedules before that so they were easier the (laughs) Jets' schedule is going to get a lot harder in 2020 they have a lot of tough road games they have a lot of tough opponents that they're going to have to face that they didn't in 2019 and the jet defense that was able to play ben but don't break against weaker opponents i'm not so sure they're going to be able to get away with that in 2020. So that's why it becomes much more important to get that edge rush and really start to get pressure on the quarterback. And I think you're going to see that with the Giants too. I assume I haven't looked at it, but I assume the Giants schedule is going to be tougher this year. Yes. Yeah, well, you
0: talk about they'll be taking on, uh, so we'll, I mean, a couple of easy ones in there in terms of the away games include the Cincinnati Bengals, but you're going to go on the road against the Rams, the Seahawks, obviously division opponents, you're going to pick up Baltimore in there as well to go along with Chicago, and then at the home game stretch, what seemingly on paper maybe would, if you went strictly by what happened last year, you'd say, oh, the Cleveland Browns. I think that the Cleveland Browns had a stumbling year and they're going to come back stronger. Then you also are going to get the Steelers, the Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, along with the Bucs at home. So yeah, this is not going to be an easy road when you talk about just, you know, looking ahead and thinking about, Oh, where are the winnable games? And as always it comes down to how you play in the division, but both on the road and at home and the Cardinals become just that kind of team because you have Kyler Murray and just feels like those are difficult ones where maybe you end up in a shootout scenario with that offense And then Baltimore Ravens, right? I mean, coming into this past season, you would have looked at them and said, yes, if Lamar Jackson can figure things out, there's some potential here. All of a sudden, he not only figures it out, he kind of breaks the mold in a lot of ways. And now you look at that game as being difficult as well. So to your point, I think both these teams are moving in the right direction and also it still takes time, right? We keep, we we've both been saying it now. It's, it takes time though. It takes time to get the right pieces in place through free agency and mostly through the draft in order to find the right combination that helps players to, to succeed, you know, at, at their position and at their skill set. Joe Judge mentioned this in his press conference about, he wants to put, wants to identify what the players do the best, put them in the position to excel at that and eliminate the opportunities where they're in a position to do the things that they are not great at and are going to be a detriment to the overall team play you mentioned unlocking the talent there and I think one of the big reasons that I'm okay with and on board with the with the trade that you made with the Jets Leonard Williams and re-signing him and having that fifth become a fourth Tomlinson for the for the Giants in the middle of that defensive line really had a strong back half of the season and again this is a guy who took a couple of years to kind of round himself into form and Giants fans probably don't realize or don't you know mentally acknowledge that oh, there's a direct one to one ratio here of Leonard Williams comes over in a trade, Tomlinson starts to get better stats. You know, and I, and I think it's easy to disconnect those two things and say, well, look how well Tomlinson played. That's why we shouldn't have traded for Leonard Williams. No. These guys work together and one player in Leonard Williams complements by being someone who's hurrying and pressuring the quarterback, allowing Tomlinson to collapse the pocket going up the middle and get to the quarterback and give himself one of his best stat lines here over his young career. So I agree with you hundred percent that those things work in tandem and I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo fan bases, but in general, I think it's easy to look past some of those things. And like you said, Mosley comes back healthy, Gives the Jets an opportunity to see how all these pieces work well together and then supplement through the draft as well. Um, I'll, I'll get you out on the door here and say, you know what, man? I, I got to do this real quick here. You mentioned before 49ers, tight end, best receiver. We obviously know Travis Kelsey out there in Kansas City. So many players, uh, so many teams run through with a quality tight end. The Giants have Evan Ingram, and I just feel like as quality as he potentially could be injuries combined with doesn't have necessarily great hands from the receiving game doesn't block at all. I've been beating the drum of trading him away. Just a two second thought before I, before we close out this one, do you think that if there's assets out there to be had for Evan Ingram, the Giants should move from him?
1: It really, I guess depends on what you're getting for him. The problem with Ingram is, and I always liked him even coming out of college he's hurt so much. Yep. He's just hurt so much. And, it's kind of like what happened with the Jets with Quincy and Nunwa where everybody in the fan base loves him and he's a really good player when he's on the field, but he's just never on the field. He was hurt two years ago. Uh, he was hurt three years ago. He was hurt again this year. You just can't rely on him. So it really depends. If you can get really good assets for him, I think you should consider it. Uh, i 'm not sure what is his contract situation? Is this the last year of his deal?
0: yeah, And then yeah, the fifth year option can be picked up so there's I had said the off season is the better time to do it. Some mm. people that I talk to think you know hold on to him, maybe trade him in season, but i I think once you go into this year you know you want to be built you want to be moving forward right building positively so I don't think the Giants want to be a team that's trading players away at the trade deadline it means that things aren't going well so I think it's an all-or-nothing scenario you try to get as much as you can it's why I was a proponent prior to his injury I thought they should have tried to trade him last year but you know at this point like you said the, the amount of injuries that he has I have some deluded Giants fans that said anything less than a second round pick I wouldn't possibly trade him for I'm more in the boat of If you could get a third rounder from someone, which I don't necessarily think is that likely, I would jump at it. And if you could maybe pair up a couple of, you know, fourth and fifth rounder or something along those lines, I would jump at the chance just to get a couple more assets in the door. When again, you talk about positions of need and filling them. And oh, by the way, where did Greg Kittle get drafted? You know, where does some of these high quality tight ends go? They go in middle and late rounds. You do not need to, which probably sticks in my head as well. Take a tight end in the first round, like the Giants did, because you never get the value back on that.
1: It depends because if you get an outstanding tight end like Tony Gonzalez, then obviously the value is just fine. But the problem with okay, yes, but
0: but a guy that's going to block and receive, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which Tony Gonzalez was able to do eventually, and you can get guys that can do that in the first or the second round, and that's fine. It's just that if you're going to pick a guy in the first round, he's got to be somebody that you think can be a key piece of your team for the next five to 10 years minimum. Hmm. I think the problem with Ingram is like you said, he's hurt a lot and you could trade him in the off season or you could go into the season. And if he plays well, you could then shop him at the deadline and you might get more from then. The problem is you're then risking the fact that he could get injured again. And that's really where this comes down to because if you were confident that he was going to stay healthy, you wouldn't want to trade him in the first place. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think that you really have to consider all of that when you were to go ahead and shop him. I think a lot of times, and this is not just a dead or a giant thing. I think it's a general thing with every team that there is, not just in the NFL, but all professional sports or even colleges, people overrate the talent on their own team. That's just always the way that it's been forever. And it's the way that it's going continue to be. Because if you ask a Jets fan about a certain player, let's say Robbie Anderson, I wouldn't trade him for less than a second round pick. <laughs> well, guess what happened? They went around and the best offer that the Jets got apparently was a fourth round pick, right? So I think that the value that a player has in the eyes of, the people that root for that team is not always going to be the same as the value that that player has to other teams around the league. And I suspect there's no way the giants could get a second round pick for Evan Ingram right now. I don't even know they'd get a third, Uh maybe a fourth and a lot of that's going to have to do with the injuries because he's a very good player, but durability is a big deal. What's the old saying? The best ability is availability uh, to an extent, you, you can't necessarily kill a guy for being hurt here and there, but with Engram, it's been a consistent thing. Like I said, Quincy Nunwa for the Jets would be a good example on the other end of it. So I think you should certainly consider it if somebody would be willing to give you a good pick heading into the draft because and you might even be able to replace the pick that you gave up for Leonard Williams. Maybe not as high of a pick, but it could be something similar. So it could end up being Evan Engram for Leonard Williams then, I guess.
0: Yeah, and these are just the thoughts because I, I we've brought this up before on the podcast. I've gotten some, some reactions from fans. So I was like, you know, listen, I'm bringing in a knowledgeable knowledgeable mind here. Feel free to, to listen in, friends, and hear how uh, Scott Mason is laying out the scenario where you are uh, deep in a state of dream if you think that the Giants are going to be getting a second-round pick uh, for Evan Ingram. Uh, that being said, we'll let you get out the door here on this one. Coming into this free agency period that'll start next month, Giants have 61 million in uh, cap room currently, but they got a number of moves: Alec Ogletree, uh, Antoine Buffet, Rhett Ellison. So there's some other things that'll come off the books here, and they're expected to be into that 80, 85, 90 million potentially in cap room. We know that the teams don't spend all of their cap room, so a lot of times fans say, "Well, you got 90 million, you can sign five guys to max deals, and, and you know, and let's go." But you're, you're never going to do that. You always keep something in the reserves. If I have it correctly, Jets currently sit at $50 million. I don't know what type of wiggle room they have in terms of cuts or moves that might get made to push that. But uh, you can maybe just clarify that for the fans in general. And then free agency starts next month, day one. What is your ideal scenario if free agency starts and they announce the Jets sign who? Is there a guy that you think automatically this, this is the answer, at least from a, a positional fit and need standpoint? that would just make a ton of sense for the jets. And really for you say, great, we can add, you know, some, some smaller pieces here in free agency, but that was the big get. And now we can use the draft to supplement.
1: So with the jets, there are a lot of guys that are going to create extra cap space for them. The two starting guards are going to be gone. Uh, Coletio Semele, who they had a whole public issue with where he looks like he's going to take legal action (laughs) against the team. He'll be off the books. You're going to see Brian Winters be off the books, and both of those guys had zero guaranteed money left on their deals, so that'll be the end of them. We're going to see what they do with Avery Williamson, the inside linebacker who missed all of last year with an injury. I'd like to see them keep him. I would try to restructure with him. Some people think that they may release him. He's due eight million dollars. Quincy and who we just talked about, is due a hefty portion of money, and based on all the injuries another one that happened last year. I'm pretty sure that he's not going to be back. So that'll be some money that gets freed up. I think that once they do all of those things and Tremaine Johnson, obviously is another one, but it's not going to free up a lot of money. I think like 3 million, but as far as I'm concerned, even if they had to pay 13 million at this point, just get him off the roster. I can't even look at Tremaine Johnson. (laughs) Once they make all of those moves, they're going to be in a situation where they'll probably have something close to $80 million. And then we'll see what happens with Le'Veon Bell. I don't like the idea of trading Le'Veon Bell for basically nothing just to get rid of his contract and even having to eat part of the contract, probably simply because I'd like to see what he could do behind a decent offensive line and he's only got one expensive year left. So you bring him back, see what he can do in 2020. And if you're not happy with the results, you get rid of him and you move on with minimal cap hit after 2020. But I think with all of that said, in terms of how much money they have or how much money they could have, The two guys, and I talked to Manish Mehta from the Daily News about this on my podcast, and he actually wrote about this in the Daily News, but I'm in agreement with Manish, which is somewhat rare. A lot of times I disagree strongly (laughs) with Manish, but we both said that, and again, this is contingent on these guys actually being available, that the two guys the Jets should go after the hardest are Joe Tooney, who we talked about before, and Yannick Ngakwe, who we also talked about before, because... I think the offensive line is a major need of fixing and Joe Tooney could come in here and be something similar to what Alan Fanica was for the Jets when they signed him in 2008, when they were remaking their offensive line, the way the Jets rebuilt their O line in 2008 was they had drafted Debrickashaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold in 2006. And then in 2008, they spent the money to bring in Alan Fanica and Damian Woody If they could do that, even if it's Tooney and maybe a a much more marginal tackle, maybe they're not going to get somebody like Jack Conklin. That would be great. And then with Ngakwe, I think Ngakwe would just be an absolute home run because, as I said, he's really a top 10 to 15 edge rusher in the league. You put him on that defense. You solve that edge problem. And now with Mosley coming back and Quinton Williams going into his second year, you could see some nasty things from that defense, which is due for a regression for all the reasons that I talked about, but if you had in maybe you don't see that regression. I'd like to see a corner at it, obviously, but those are the two guys that if you were to say to me, give me any two free agents that the jets could get within reason. Those would be the two guys that I would look to get. And if they can't get in I would still like to see them try and get an edge rusher. maybe Judon. He's a little older than I like 29 years old, but still a productive player. So that's where I would go. But I, I think, If Gakway gets franchise tag, which he likely will, the Jets should go all all in on Tooney because he's not only a, a really good player, but he's also somebody that's been healthy and he holds up real well in pass protection, which they need more than anything else. And as an added bonus, and Adam, I think you can appreciate this. As a Giants fan who I'm sure has no love for the Patriots, it's always fun to take away a good player from the Patriots.
0: Now, listen anything you want to take from them is more than fine by me i always, I always say i root i'll root for the jets you know they're there are buddies in the town that's okay but the patriots are the easiest team to root against listen man i think going to free agency you take suny we'll take Ngakwe, and we'll just call it even i don't see why <laughs> you need to get greedy going into the grocery stores taking up all the all the quality uh, produce there so uh, it'll be interesting to see, man. Like we said at the top of this one, both teams have these needs across the board that really do match up with one another in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know, it's interesting if, if Ngakwe isn't available, you highlighted how not necessarily as deep in the draft class in terms of getting some some members onto that defensive side of the ball. So be be interesting to see where the Giants go. The injury concerns for me around Conklin are certainly there, but, I feel like he's probably the big get for the Giants in free agency. You lock that up, you solve the right tackle position, massive upgrade over Remmers from the year prior. And then you go into the draft and you try to supplement with a center, to replace a uh, jalapeno, there. You think about getting an offensive lineman early, potentially to even possibly sit in behind soldier for a year or outright compete with him. Uh, and then obviously one of the things that a lot of fans have talked about, and you have to keep in the back of your mind, if you're a giants fan is that, you know uh, Gates was on this roster for the giants last year. He played a decent enough snaps at right tackle. And some people are saying that he deserves the opportunity to compete for that starting uh, spot at right tackle. The only issue there is if you don't attack your need in free agency, and gates doesn't pan out then you find yourself a year later in the exact same position so it, it'll be really curious to see how things break down uh, in the next month here when free agency kicks off uh i couldn't be any more appreciative man we we've this is now the second one we're hoping to do a ton more of these with you but everybody knows i don't need to to market it for you but play at play like a jet one on twitter scott mason's always doing a ton of fantastic work anything uh that people should know
1: scott well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Always a blast talking with you. And anytime you want me to come back, you just let me know. Happy to do it anytime. Uh, the, the off season is kind of weird for us because we're still doing seven day a week podcasts, and people would say, "How can you do that when there's not really anything going on?" Well, there's always something to talk about. And what we like to do in the off season is we have our regulars that still come on. Manish is coming on. In fact, I don't know when this is going to go up, but Manish comes on on Wednesdays, and we just dropped a new one with him talking about a variety of different stories, including some of the free agency stuff that we just talked about. Michael Manny has been coming on to talk about the Sam Darnold project that he had worked on. He went back, and believe it or not, Adam, he watched every single snap that Sam Darnold took as a pro in his 26 starts. He graded every game, and then he put together composite scores. He has, like, a color-coded chart explaining what went into the scores, and we've been going through each week the – different games that he graded and we just finished the 2018 season that was part four it's been a really interesting look at sam donald because i think a lot of people have different perceptions of sam donald so far at this point there are some people that maybe think he's better than he's been some that think he's been worse but michael kind of cuts through all the mustard and gives you a really play by play of where he came up with these scores so it's really been interesting and then the other thing that we've been doing in addition to the mailbags that I talked about before that everybody loves because uh, we get to talk about TV, movies, food, and football. Mm -hmm. But we've been doing roundtables. So we'll get people that are from all different walks of life that are Jets fans to come on and talk about what the Jets should do in the offseason, the state of the team heading into 2020. And this is a yearly tradition. So that happens a couple times a week. We've had some fun guests. You get people from the we get people from the media, but then people that really have nothing to do with football from a professional standpoint. So one week you could see somebody like Jim Garrity, who's a senior political correspondent at National Review, and another week you could see Chris Moore, who is a talk show host at WFAN six sixty and one hundred one point nine, and then you could have somebody like Christian Winfield who is the beat reporter covering the New Jersey Nets or excuse me, the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know why. I said How dare you, sir. I'm still in a warp. <laughs> I'm still a time warp. Cause I was talking to somebody the other day about the years that I spent watching Drazen and Petrovic, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Christian Winfield who covers the Nets for the daily news will come on cause he's a big jets fan. And you know, pe like I said, people from all over the place that have platforms, but who are interested in the Jets for one reason or another. And I think it's fun because we get a whole different variety of opinions on the record from so many different people. And I think the beauty of it is when you hear all these people with all these different opinions, it's kind of like a buffet. You take a little bit of what you like from each part of the buffet. And so you might hear somebody say something that you think is ridiculous. But then they say something that you think is great. And then the next person that comes on, they say something different that you like and then something different that you think is silly. So I just think it's great to get a broad variety of perspectives. And then obviously we're marching forward towards free agency. And then, Adam, it's going to be a grind because once free agency hits, we are going to have daily shows just covering the happenings of what goes on with the Jets and around the league. So it never stops. What do they say? Can't stop, won't stop, right?
0: That's it, man. Well, listen, and as one giant podcast, we've been trying to build up our content a little bit. We said I was leading this podcast with Scott, but Scott's clearly leading the, the, the football and broad spectrum podcasting, right? So, listen, to tie this thing all back together to where we started today, you should check out the Play Like a Jet podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. Scott Mason is obviously fantastic. You don't need me to tell you that. But if you do check out their content, it's a uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good. pretty good show.
1: I appreciate the Larry David reference to close out. And everybody that listens to my podcast should listen to yours as well because you do a great job. And also, it's really a good thing to be able to hear what's going on with the Giants, especially get the inside dirt on whether or not the Giants are going to lock up Leonard Williams and get the Jets that fourth round pick for 2021. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much. That's it for us, friends. Uh, Thanks again to Scott Mason. We'll catch up with you soon.
1: You can follow Adam and Andy at One Giant Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and
0: Twitter. Remember to download, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. This has been... One giant podcast.